Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the uh, <clears throat> title of the talk is Letting Your Heart Break. Um, and as I mentioned just before we um, took our uh, stretch break, uh, <clears throat> let's just move to talk about this topic uh, after the the recent shootings yesterday in uh, San Bernardino, which was a day after the shootings at the Planned Parenthood. Uh, I don't know, every now and then it seems that there's a kind of uh, wave. And just when I think, okay, enough already. Uh, God, when is it going to stop? It's like another wave. And um, I don't know about you, but it just, kind of seemed to get to me. And I don't profess to have any brilliant answers uh, for, uh, for you to go home and practice and everything will be digested fine. Uh, I'm just um, opening it up to um, hold hands together for myself, and just to see and explore together how can we process what what is the what is the Dharma and what is what does practice have to offer so that um, we don't fall into too much um, despair and hopelessness uh, because as of course we know. There are 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows in life. And so if we, we just focus on uh, the tragedies and the despair, we, we miss out on all the amazing, wonderful things happening in life. Uh, this also happens to be the week, as I'm sure many of you know, most of you know, of the uh, talks, in uh, the climate talks in Paris. And I was moved to talk about that uh, uh, as as a main focus, um, but um, we'll just hold it all. I mean, the, those talks in Paris are quite intriguing. There's there's something that the heart says, oh, maybe maybe people can get together, particularly as as it has been said in some uh, some papers and, and some uh, um, authorities saying that the Paris recent Paris tragedies um, have could perhaps have a positive influence in bringing everybody together who's coming 
to those those talks that it's one perhaps uh, incentive to in that sadness that is hanging over Paris uh, help people wake up to um, and the leaders wake up to um, doing something positive. So who knows? I mean, that, that would be, it's an intriguing thing to think about how cause and effect can work, how one tragedy can lead to perhaps uh, something really wonderful in the, uh, uh, as a byproduct. It's kind of mysterious, isn't it? So one can't look at any one moment and say, oh, this is an indication that this is where humanity is going. It's, it's all kind of up in the air. But with these, uh, these last uh, shootings this week, um, it's just such a crazy place we live in. I just was uh, having a, a, a visitor from Australia here, uh, from Melbourne, uh, last week. And um, you know, she was staying in, in Berkeley and, and she started to realize, oh wow, walking around here at night might not be such a good thing by herself. And she said, you know, you, you don't think about that in Australia these days. Mm. And as perhaps you know, Australia, uh, which is, which is a, a real wild, sometimes like a wild west mentality, they call them uh, bogans uh, in Australia, you know, tough tough people and kind of, uh, you, you don't mess with, with an Australian, and uh, they have that kind of Wild West mentality at times. And they had a mass, uh, mass shooting in 1996, uh, and an amazing thing happened after the, the conservative prime minister, who uh, had recently took, uh, taken office, was so um, um, so shaken up by it, and he said, "We're going to uh, take away the handguns in this country." And people thought that he was completely, you know, out to lunch. It could never happen. They were in that mass shooting. There were. Uh, how many? Thirty-five. What was it? Yeah, thirty-five people killed, twenty-three wounded in Tasmania. Uh, but lo and behold, there was enough of a uh, of a groundswell that um, it happened. And there's still you can have rifles and hunting and all, but homicide and uh, and suicide and handguns are uh, almost unheard of there. Since 1996, this is. Just imagine what this country would be like if 
there weren't handguns. It's hard to imagine. So I'm just kind of just talking stream of consciousness here. So um, whatever comes out is what's coming out. But um, we live in such an insane country. I was looking at statistics. Ernie sent me some uh, uh, some links to statistics around Americans. Um, one-third of American households have a gun. And it's declining. That's from one-half. Forty years ago, one-half of households had a gun. So it's actually gone down. And uh, although the U.S. is still the most violent developed country... Mexico and Estonia are kind of close with us, but everybody else is like you know a big drop. Uh, but assault deaths are half of what they were 40 years ago. That's interesting. So it, it's going in the right direction, but it's got a little bit more to go. Mm. The states that have... More guns have more homicides. Surprise, surprise. States with stricter gun control laws have fewer gun deaths. Now, uh, less than half the population favor stricter gun laws. And 58% were, after after Sandy Hook, uh, 58% favored stricter gun laws, and now it's down to 47%. Mm. Shootings, it turns out, don't shift views on gun control that actually these days uh, 57% of Americans uh, think that guns will protect them more from being a victim, and 38% feel that they put people more at risk. <clears throat> Let's see, a couple more. The total uh, gun deaths uh, in 2014, there were, there were 51,000 incidents, 51,768 gun incidents last year, and 12,570 deaths. As far as mass shootings, however, maybe you saw this, I had seen this in a couple of different places. There are, um, so far in 2015, mass shootings which are defined as four or more uh, people wounded in, uh, uh, by somebody shooting, there have been 355 in our country so far this year, more than one per day. Isn't that insane? So, um, hmm. what's that? Here, here, wait a second here. Let's, uh, oh, thanks. No, no, it's okay, because it'll be.
just today I discovered, which is the day after the San Bernardino shooting and two days after the one in Colorado Springs, that the Republican Senate voted down an amendment to close something called the terrorist loophole, mm-hmm. which means that terrorists can legally buy any kind of gun they want. They can't get on a plane, but they can buy guns. And the, uh, legislate, the Senate uh, shot down an amendment to change that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that too. So, um, it's just so interesting to me that the human mind can be shaped in any direction and it can be um, activated towards more fear and more othering and more hatred, or it can be activated towards more compassion, more understanding, more connection. So I've just been hanging out with, um, just how to hold all of this. There's bewilderment, sense of hopelessness sometimes, sense of um, despair or just feeling like anything could happen at any time. And at the same time, there's more consciousness than ever too. So, Here we are with our Dharma practice and wanted to just mm, see how we use our Dharma practice to hold all of this. Mm, As I've mentioned here before, the the wonderful teaching of the Buddhas that, uh, that says that suffering can be a causative factor for faith to arise. Suffering can lead to inspiration and faith. But in that teaching, suffering is not necessarily a direct cause of faith to arise. It can also lead to bitterness, fear, confusion, anger, greed, hatred, So it can go really either way. But suffering does have the potential to turn us in a direction of greater compassion and understanding. Um, So how to feel it all but not be overwhelmed by it, but still feel it. And that's kind of what I've been hanging out with in the last few days. That's why I decided to call the talk Letting Your Heart Break. Um, Because in a way, 
that's an essential piece. If you, you know, it's one thing, you read a story and a lot of times you read some calamity or some disaster, you know, thousands die in a tsunami or in some, some great catastrophe, a natural disaster or maybe man-made slash natural disaster uh, with climate. And the numbers get so huge, so overwhelming that the mind can't take it in. You just say, oh, how awful. 20,000 people or 100,000 people affected by whatever. But the mind really can't take it in. Or the, the heart can't hold it all. You read one story about somebody, though, and that's something that can connect us and can move us. So you don't want to be so numb to it that you just say, oh, that's, that's so bad. What can we, how can we use it so that we're, it deepens our understanding and uh, doesn't completely um, devastate us? One thing that it's clear that the Buddha says in holding all of this a line that I'm sure many of you have heard many times. So simple, so profound. Hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred only ceases by love. This is an ancient and eternal law. So simple and yet so um, out of reach for so many minds. Hatred does not cease by hatred. So to let your heart break and have it be a, a source of of a deeper understanding. I thought I'd, one thing I'd do was uh, read a, a story from, um, that I put in Awakening Joy uh, about this, this subject. This is um, a Dharma teacher who in the book I, I call Rose. Um, She had uh, gone to, uh, to, to Tibet, and she's, she's a, a physician as well. And um, she volunteered to go to Tibet and, um, oh, I just lost it, uh, to do part of a medical team, um, be part of a medical team to set up uh, clinics and monasteries and schools and orphanages and uh, she witnessed this incredible poverty there, uh, people living without access to water and 
women with crippling arthritis carrying loads and loads of of um, of uh, um, stuff on their back um, going up hills, people dying of tuberculosis and all and it was and they had little food and um, little care and she'd never encountered that much suffering and it was just overwhelming and she'd see these uh, women faithfully spinning their prayer wheels in hopes of improving their lot in life and uh, it looked so hopeless to her and she was quite overwhelmed and and uh, uh, and devastated by it for a while. And she, when she got back home, um, she decided to do a retreat to process this all. And she got back home and she saw how good she had it and it just kept on reminding her of how uh, the, the, the discrepancy in the conditions between where she was in Tibet and, uh, and her home and um, she kept on practicing, and at some point, this is what she, she discovered. <clears throat> Rose knew that being on a retreat would not protect her from the overwhelming feelings she had in response to the suffering she'd seen in Tibet. In fact, it was the opposite. There'd be no way to avoid that pain. So when she came face to face with its deepest expression, she didn't pull away. One day, as she was meditating, all the feelings came to the surface, and letting go into them entirely, she found what was on the other side. And this is her talking. She says, I was crying and sobbing. My heart is breaking. My heart is breaking. And I just kept allowing that experience. And all of a sudden it became, uh, my heart is broken. My heart is broken open. And it felt as though something I was holding on to had shattered inside. It was, it felt as though something I was holding on to had shattered inside. I'd broken completely wide open. And all of this love began pouring through. It was like I broke open into universal compassion. And the grief and the pain continued, but she felt that uh, she was somehow, she'd gone through the contraction into the depths of a, of a vast universe. <clears throat> there was no one to hold and no one being held. Just the deep recognition, this is how it is in this world. There is this much pain. Beings are doing this to each other. It's true. And there's this much compassion and care, this much love. And what arose then was profound understanding 
that arises when equanimity and compassion both come into balance. The chest says, this is all part of the package in this life. I felt a deep love for all beings, she said, all beings without exception. I saw behind the suffering to the beauty of each being. I could see the divinity in all the people I'd seen in suffering. The shining of who they were was untouched by the suffering, and the beings who were causing the suffering had that same shining. Mm. And then she had this transforming insight. I know the potential for any one of us to cause harm through our suffering, and I feel great compassion for that as well. And that experience lifted the despair that had paralyzed me. <clears throat> so just uh, before we go on, just for a moment, mm, letting, letting your heart be touched by it all. And seeing if there's a way to hold it all, to be bigger than even all that pain that just makes space for it, for the sadness, for the ignorance. the sorrow. For the goodness and the caring of all the people who come together and support each other. For the commitment of everyone who wants to make this a better world. for the confusion and the the hatred of those who through their own conditioning have developed that closed heart for all of it that just says this is how it is and it's all part of life. And for the practice that can somehow point us to 
a perspective that keeps our hearts open. and inspires us to act to make this a better world. As I've mentioned here before, perhaps holding the the archetype, the image of of Kuan Yin that can feel the pain of the world and still be centered and allowing for it all. And in that formula where suffering can be a causative factor for greater faith and understanding and happiness and contentment, how to process and use our sadnesses to keep facing in that direction. And lastly, before we end this reflection, I invite you to uh, to do that mindful self-compassion break, which... I've shared before Kristen Neff and Christopher Germers. You might put your hand on your on your heart just as a way to comfort physiologically. And using these phrases, this is suffering. Or this is hard. And next phrase, suffering is a part of life. You might think of all the people in the world who are going what you might be going through when you have it hard. Suffering is a part of life.
And then, may I hold my suffering with kindness and compassion. This is suffering. Suffering is a part of life. May I hold my suffering with kindness and compassion. So sound, yeah. So I thought that uh, before we have a discussion as a group, that you might uh, turn to a couple of people near you, one or two people near you, and share how you how you hold your heart when it breaks. So what have you found in your own practice that helps you to um, to keep going in the direction of of greater uh, understanding and not overwhelm. We can take maybe uh, 10 minutes or so for that and then uh, come back as a group. So just turn to somebody near you. One or a couple of people near you. So if you can uh, come on back, if you'd like, thank your partner. So um, I'm curious, interested, what came up from your conversation? How do you use your practice? Or what wisdom did did you hear? How to hold the heartbreak? I'd, uh, I'd be interested to hear you say a little bit more about Tonglen practice because I kind of do what I, <laughs> my feeble understanding, I guess. But so thinking of the people that have been killed, or people who have been wounded, or or the relatives of those mm-hmm. who have been killed or wounded, or the relatives of the killers who mm-hmm. seem to be as, mm-hmm. as heartbroken as anyone, perhaps, mm-hmm. and to pay attention to that pain and suffering and darkness and breathe it into myself and absorb it and see if I can feel what that's like to, to be there. And, you know, wallowing in it for a long time can get overwhelming, but I can handle it for the, you know, this, I was saying the seven seconds that I breathe in when I'm breathing slowly, and then I can turn that into breathing out for seven seconds with, the, um, uh, with transforming that into kindness, into light, into good wishes, into metta, into compassion. Mm-hmm. How does that work for you? Well, 
I mean, it works well. It works well. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious your understanding of, of Tong and practice a little more. Or is, that, is there more to it? Or, or anyway. Yeah, so Tonglin practice, if you're not familiar with, uh, with the term, is a, it's a Tibetan practice where you take in suffering, breathe it in, and send and suffering from around you, uh, and uh, then transform it into compassion. And uh, it's, a, it's a tricky practice. You know, the first time I, I heard of that, I thought, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm suffering enough as it is, you know. So I bring, breathe in everybody's suffering or a tragedy like this, and you know, how, how, could, how could I not be overwhelmed by it? But I, I think that the key is to see that when it touches the purity of heart, your awakened heart, that that cannot be um, diminished by the suffering. And so there's a, an alchemy that uh, just the, your own pure intention and pure good heart transforms it into, uh, into compassion. So if you, can, if you can hold it like that and just see that it's not even your pure heart. Oh, look at, hey, I've got a pretty pure heart here, and it's pretty cool, you know. It's, it's not yours, but there's something very um, um, divine, divine goodness that can transform it. Uh, that's a fabulous practice. Yeah, And obviously, if it's working well for you, then... Uh, then you're touching something like that. I guess I'm thinking there's there's a a space that arises perhaps that really is kind of in a sense weepy and brokenhearted and at peace and and hopeful kind of rolled together somehow. Sounds really good. Weepy and brokenhearted and at peace. And and hopeful. What's that? And hopeful. And hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, the the hopefulness is well. W- if that word resonates for you, then that's that's the right one. Uh, for for me, it's more um, mm, okayness with it all. That that you can still get in touch with the goodness that can hold it all, um, and whatever word resonates, if it's it's hopeful, but that's a, a, a you know really an excellent practice, and it's amazing that we have that capacity right in our own heart. That's one of the things about compassion that uh, it's a, it's called a divine abode, a sublime state, and it is um, it requires suffering. It's it's the it's the heart that that's that that stays open and responds to suffering with with deep caring suffering is not sublime but the caring heart is really sublime so um and we're all wired up with it isn't that amazing so, thank you 
Eunice, right behind. I, I really appreciate that in our practice we get to process what's going on in our lives, and I really appreciate that about your teaching. And I, it really makes a difference because I did that with my students in the classroom after the Paris tragedy, and they were really, nobody gave them a chance to process it, and mm-hmm. it was really great. It had nothing to do with the subject matter of the class, but it was, mm-hmm. it was very helpful for us to just sit, sit there and be vulnerable and process uh, what happened. Um, you know, when I was a kid, my grandfather was a Sufi master, and, mm-hmm. um, and um, a town about 100 miles south where I grew up in 1950, completely disappeared out of the earth because of an earthquake that just opened the earth and mm. the town just went down and everything wow. just disappeared. Wow. A whole 60,000 town just no longer existed. Where was that? This is in the south of Morocco. And so my grandfather and our Zawiya, every harvest they will travel there to do a loving-kindness practice mm. for all the people that died. And I remember as a kid I asked my grandfather... Uh, why would God do such a terrible thing? You know, and my grandfather said, you know, sometimes our heart really hardens, and the way that God opens our heart is to is is when we lose people in the way that we lost them. Mm. We got to really open our heart and feel the suffering and the sorrow, mm. and then love and compassion emerges out of that. Mm. And I remembered that as I I grew up and crossed borders and saw a lot of tragedies in my life. But recently, what's been really hard is that this ripple effect of this tragedy is happening is not creating a lot of love. Mm-hmm. It's creating a lot of indifference. It's creating a lot of hatred. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Muslim community, for example, in the West is, is in incredible fear. Mm-hmm. Two days ago, a taxi driver, a Muslim taxi driver, was shot point blank by a customer in Texas. You never hear about it in the news. And last week in Tennessee, a mosque was burned down to the ground. Luckily, a synagogue took over and they invited all the Muslim community to join them and mm. share in their prayer, which was the beautiful thing that emerged out of the tragedy. Wow. Wow. But our politicians and the media is just feeding into these tragedies and, and we're not learning, we're not loving each other, we're not caring for each other. It's very difficult to stay hopeful when you look at the actions of our fellow humans. Mm-hmm. And all I can do is just be, have compassion in my heart and myself first because I... You know, I'm powerless over it. And then, and then, you know, talk about it to the people that I can talk about, that they can at least make some sense of it. Mm-hmm. And this is about wise action and wise speech. And it, it starts with me and it ends with me. And mm-hmm. that's, that's really what I can do. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a number of things that you say. Just that, that, that piece about the heart getting tender you know that that's that's really one of the one of the gifts in suffering just to tenderize that heart from its usual distractions and and feeling a connection with life uh that's that's a silver lining in it and um it's important to process uh you know i i i i had some um concern about just sharing you know i'm just i'm i'm processing but it just and whether this would be you know 
if somebody's coming up here for awakening joy, it wasn't quite an awakening joy evening. Uh, but it's just important to, at times, go in there and say, oh yeah, this too, wow, this this hurts. And somehow just touching it a little bit, especially with others, that's why I wanted to have you at least talk a bit with each other, because uh, when you can process it and you're not alone in the processing, there there's something that uh that gets that moves through uh and just think of all the people that don't have have that don't have that available to them and so it just gets stuck or gets cynical uh and it's true there's the 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 politicians get the headlines and the and the and the crazies get the the headlines but there's so much goodness and caring in this world too. That, you know, you, you just you can't. Uh, it's important to remember that too. So thank you. Okay, one last one, and then we'll go. Yeah, okay. ready. Uh, when uh, Julia Butterfly Hill was here many years ago, who she, who was it? Julia Butterfly oh, Hill, Ju- yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the ecology uh, mm-hmm. maven. She she had a phrase that says, uh, "Action alleviates anxiety." It's actually uh, Angelus Arian. Action oh. absorbs anxiety. Okay. Yeah. They're all A's anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Alliteration. <Yeah. laughs> so what I'd like to offer is that there's many organizations around that are actually campaigning in some way or other for some form of gun control. So if you'd like to actually do something, yeah, there's one called uh, Americans for Responsible Solutions. It was um, put together by this Gabby Giffords, the... Uh, the legislator who was shot about five years ago. There's a couple others as well. But if you go home and Google on Americans for Responsible Solutions, join up, like their web page, you can be somehow part of this, and there's other organizations as well, you can be somehow part of making a, a small itty-bitty difference. Mm-hmm. They'll be sending you information, they'll ask you to sign petitions online, they'll ask for donations, of course. But it's some way of taking some small steps of action. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And, and uh, when you sent me that link, I, I did go on Americans for Responsible Solutions and uh, signed their, their, little, their petition, and it felt good to be part of something bigger. So thank you very much. Okay, so let's, uh, let's just close and uh, feel the the blessing of being with like-minded friends and having the Dharma to help us hold it all. May we learn to process our sorrows wisely and transform them into compassion. May all see through their fears and separation to see their connection to all of life. May all come to hold their suffering with compassion and kindness and know the highest happiness. 
and may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much. See you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.